Hi everybody and welcome to another Spark and Ninja podcast. Today we're going to play a webinar that we recorded last week where we discussed EICRs and the observations and recommendations. We basically just had a chinwag about EICRs in general. We plan on covering quite a bit of material but we only actually got about four or five slides into our talk because there was so much engagement and so many good discussions raised. So have a listen, see what you think. Cheers, stay safe. Good afternoon, Stuart. How are you, mate? Scott, hello. Sam, afternoon. Hi, Peter. Hey, Adrius, or Juice, Mike, hey, Stuart. Not bad, not bad. Last one for this week. Got a day off tomorrow. Oh, keeps keeps Jack gone straight in. I need I need to go back up and, and see this. All right, you're reading this, but right. So Keith says before all this kicks off, I want to stick my two pennies into this debate and say the whole way observations are considered for coded is totally wrong. I've been doing it over thirty years. I've seen many issues and seen how you can legally be forced to justify your own position. In reality, most electricians cannot, as they don't have the right view to start with. You look at Codebreaker's book and draw a line under what is put in them there. Yeah, I want to approach that. Every install, every use of building, every use is different. Absolutely. All this should be taken into account before you code something. I'll yeah. admit it won't make much difference on the given code a lot of the time, but at least you can say you've given it a consideration, a considered thought, not just taking the opinion of a book as a justification. In the ICI, it's your opinion, not anyone else's. I don't call them certificates. Right, we, we can now conclude. That's the webinar, webinar done. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, spot on. Spot we, shall, on. we shall conclude. Um, yeah. <laughs> If any of no, you guys have, if you, any of you guys want to have an opinion or want to put something out there, we will before we start chatting away through. You know, uh, Keith could completely agree with you there. Um, and uh, you, you brought up the Codebreaker book, and actually, I'll add that now. Um, the Code, I've got, <laughs> got one of them. Where's the other one? The uh, first edition of the Codebreaker book. I wasn't involved with. Um, I was got involved with the second, and my name's in it. But I initially was hesitant because I've always been hesitant of people publishing codes to practices because it, yeah, it, it disconnects the engineering judgment. And a code in one site is completely different on another site. You know, uh, users, utilization, environments. You know, this, this, this is you know, it differs. Uh, so I was very skeptical. It was only when I saw the you know the actual contributions and the information, the other content that I decided to contribute towards some of it. But um, you know anybody who uses this kind of resource as their decision process shouldn't be doing the work. It's there to support and give you an opinion. It's basically like having some opinion for you to then think with. It's not the deciding factor. Um, it's been a it's been a theme running all the way through the webinars that we've done this week. Um, is that uh, we must use our own skill, judgment, expertise, and knowledge, guys. Uh, don't take any text as well. This has got to be yeah. the way I do it. Don't follow it verbatim. It's there for guidance only. Use your own knowledge. You guys know what you're doing. You know you're skilled. You're experienced. You're good at what you do. Have the confidence to take your own judgment on these things. Just use the guidance there just to sort of steer you in whatever direction. And that's the important thing. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's handy at times. It's there. It's, it's there to give you an opinion. It's there to give you an opinion, as, as all of us are. You know, uh, often we'll come up uh, when I've done when I've done the ICRs on my own. You kind of you kind of just thinking amongst yourself. So it's good to have those resources. I, I did some ICRs recently uh, with you, didn't I, Pop? And we ended up. With, I mean, I, I said this. Um, I, I said this on the webinar the other day. You know, it, I did some work with you, and I said to Maya when we got back to your house. You know, the amount of work we got done that day. If I was working for anybody else, I'd have been sacked on the spot because we only got about half a dozen circuits actually tested. But we spent a lot of the time during the fat and actually inspecting 
I think on the first, I think in the morning, I think you tested about seven circuits. I got the tester out or what you I know. I remember coming in, I actually came into the uh, switch room where you were. And yeah. you said, I said to you, how many circuits have you tested? You said seven. I said, you're sacked. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. It's absolute nonsense. This business of um, mm. so much per circuit and, you know, how much, how many circuits or how many boards mm. you can do in a day, you know, it takes no account at all then of the actual inspection side of things and inspection is a really important part of this this is a bit that everybody overlooks it's inspection and testing okay mm. and then doing a periodic report on that yeah how can you report on something if you haven't inspected it 85 to 90 percent of the issues you're going to find are by inspection so that is i mean i just big big sort of capital letters in bright lights underline it inspection mm. that's the important See, bit I, t I take a comment out of the um the pad tester code believe it or not with this because the pad tester code book actually says about you know because there's a frequency for formal visual and then a frequency for combined it actually says that you know the formal visual must be carried out and then with the combined it says that the combined tests or the tests can be chosen to supplement the inspection to support that individual to make further engineering decisions and that's exactly what the multifunction tests are for electricians the problem is we're asked to fill in a schedule of data and hand the data over and we're obviously looking at software that looks at all these little values and all these numbers so before we start our challenge is not to actually formally inspect something and develop a report for a client is to put numbers in boxes and we've detached from the actual task at hand, but yeah. So we're gonna have a we're gonna just talk about a couple of points that we talk about regularly, because uh, when when my old man and I do catch up, because you know we live 100 miles apart, but when we do catch up, we do often end up being left alone to talk about electrics. It's um that's mainly because our wives think we're boring, because that's all we talk about. Well, they, 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 they don't know all how they much they All they hear is numbers and electrical terminology, and they think, yeah. oh, God, those two are at it again, uh, and they go off and break open the red wine. So <laughs> so we're, we're going to cover a couple of things. Um, obviously, as we said before, uh, we are both practicing electricians and inspectors, but we're also you know, mostly in training and consulting direction at the moment. But as we're in training, we do have a good understanding on training. So we just wanted to discuss training itself and you know you guys offer your input on this about the training expect the expectations of training the requirements of training right now and if you think the actual outputs of training is adequate for what the the proper role should be um i understand why for example the uh the 2392 i understand why that course was created to obviously achieve some level of initial verification for people entering that domestic sector but the um, the two three nine one, do you, pop? Do you think it's adequate when you look at the outputs of the training, or do you think maybe the um, maybe the entry requirements should be increased a little bit? Maybe people should have maybe people should have a few years experience first. Uh, yeah, two three nine two. Go back to the two three nine two. Two three nine two is the course where we can actually teach guys yeah. to inspect and test, and it's based on a single phase um, installation. So predominantly, we're looking at domestic installations. Um, and I like the 2392 course because it's all about teaching the guys in stages how to inspect and test. Mm -hmm. um, and that's great. When we come to the 2391, the onus isn't on actually teaching them how to do it. It's actually raising the level of understanding and knowledge. Uh, one yeah, of the there's, issues there's supposed to be some existing experience, isn't there? There is supposed to be. There's supposed to be obviously qualified electricians who have already mm. been uh, doing an amount of inspection testing and have that as part of their uh, workplace duties. Yeah. Now, one of the issues we have got now, uh, and this is another point of discussion, we've got the 2391, um, and that's now got three different aspects to it the 239150, which is for new installations, initial verification. The 239151, which is for uh, condition reporting, periodic inspection, testing. Um, and then we've got a joint course. And there is a part of me which thinks we shouldn't be doing joint courses because what we should be doing is we should be saying to guys, okay, let's say you do initial verification. Mm -hmm. Then they should be going away and doing some initial verification, you know, getting some experience at it. Okay. 
get a few scenarios, get a few um, inspections and tests under their belt, and then maybe in six months' time, maybe a year's time, maybe longer, who knows, then come back and do a 239-151, the periodic inspection and testing with a condition report. Yeah. And although the condition report, when you look at the actual practical side of it, you know, you can sample, you don't need to do the same tests in the same order and all the rest of it. So some people look at it and think, well, this is a piece of cake. This isn't as difficult as the EIC. The fact is the condition report requires the actual engineer doing it to have a much higher level of understanding, experience and knowledge so they can apply an engineering decision to what they are looking at and what they're seeing. And this is where it goes slightly off rails when you do a joint course. And I've got to say, I've delivered joint courses, you know. Um, that's what people have been asking for. It's cheaper, it's quicker, you know. But is cheaper and quicker always the best way to train? Um, <laughs> that's a consideration that I think you and I have both got an opinion on. Um, we'd like to take a bit longer. We'd like to, you know, do it properly and get guys to level up and, and get a greater understanding. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's that's what I'm. That's my sort of views on that. That's an interesting comment. Cam's just mentioned that two three nine one five two was not available to anyone who hadn't passed initial verification on my course. Are you referring to digital verification as in two three nine two two three nine one five zero or the initial verification section of the level three? Because two three nine one five two is one single course which covers yeah. both. And it does cover both in the outcomes. Yeah. So, so initial verification is in the outcomes and assessment of the 239152. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that they've done that. But I can understand why, though. I can understand why they'd have done that. Because they don't yeah. want, cause the problem is, you don't want, if you do a 239152, you don't want a, a room of guys who have no experience huh. with an instrument. Because you've, you, you've, you've then got, you've got a room where you've got guys who haven't had time on the tools. And then you've got, people who have and you've got to try to you know you want you want to cater and give everyone the right outcome mm. but because a lot of these courses are thrown in packages and programs a lot of people going on to those courses are going in kind of a machine of, of qualifications and they haven't had the time or they can't even get the experience because they just can't get the work well the the, the, there's an argument then for not having a 239152 at all then this, yeah, it's true. You know, because but I, I, when I saw one fifty-two is all about doing both at the same time. Oh, uh, when I when, over a six-day period. When I logged in, when I logged into the wall garden and I looked at you know the assessor side, the stuff that people can't get to see unless they have the special keys and stuff. When I looked at the assessment criteria and I looked at what what that's become, merging EIC and EICR into one practical demonstration of a rig, I just I just thought they've lost the plot. To be fair. You know, with regards to the assessment strategy, I think it's very confusing to the learner to go to one rig and be told to take some of it as an EIC and some of it as an EICR. Yeah, it's just no, that would never happen in the real world where you go to one installation and be told to perform those two parts. There's a there's a couple of things there on the chat which uh, I'd like to address. Um, uh, there's one there from Dan saying, "Is two three nine one the highest level inspection and testing training?" Well, unfortunately, yes, it is. Uh, and we're looking actually at the moment of doing a higher level one and, and putting it together to look sort of like on the verge of the design course, really. Um, one from Roberto says, is, is it the responsibility of the education provider to make sure the candidates have got the experience? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, it's, there's something called... The trouble is, you, you say to people, you put this on your information, yeah. uh, and you put this on your website and say, right, you must have experience, you must be this, you must be that. And you still get guys that turn up and, you know, they've, they've never taken a tester out of the box yeah. in their life. Uh, and this is one of the issues. Um, there's, there's something called RPL, Recognised Prior Learning, which all courses have. And that, that's the thing that's stated by the awarding organisation, what the level of candidates should be. And so we should, you know, th that allows us to make sure that the learners and the candidates are suitable for that learning that they're going to go on. But that often does get very skewed. Or, or they kind of twist the interpretation to just try to make, because fundamentally you may have five or six people that are varying levels of approach and preparation and experience, but these training organizations have one product. Yeah. And so for some people, that product's perfect. For some, they're not ready for that product. For some, that might even be a lower level than what they're actually 
want to go, but that's the problem. We only have X amount of products. And so when it comes to training, it's very hard to get the right train for the right individual. Uh, I, I see Russ's comment here. A lot of the courses only teach you to pass the exam. And one of the issues there what to actually is, do. Well, yeah. one of the issues there, isn't it, especially with the 2391 now, is that there is a set exam, yeah. paper exam, not like the 2394 and the 2395. With the 2394 and the 2395, two mm. separate courses run at different times. Uh, the assessments were at different days, okay? And the exams used to come in sealed envelopes from City and Guilds out to the centres. We mm. weren't allowed to open them until 15 minutes before the exam started. They're all in a sealed envelope in a plastic wallet. So we, as the um, educate the training providers, yeah, and the invigilators didn't have a, the foggiest clue what was in that exam paper. Yeah. Okay? And so it was a true reflection then. You used to give it to the guys, you open it up, you've got 15 minutes to get it out and get the exam, you know. And, you know, then as an, uh, an, an invigilator, you'd sit there, and that's about the first opportunity once the exam had started that you had to actually start looking through it. If you had a spare paper, you'd think, oh, oh, yeah, oh these are quite good, these questions. Nowadays, if the 2391, yeah, it's a preset exam, which is available to all the centres. It's the same questions. They don't change. No, I've got a okay. And this is one of the issues is that, yeah. you know, a lot of training providers like to say, yeah, we get 100% pass rate. Everybody passes. For me personally, I think that is a daft statement because I don't want to say that everybody passes. If everybody passes, of course, then the assessment is not strict enough. It's not tough enough because in the real world, not everybody will pass a course first time. Yeah. They all have different levels. skills, different knowledge levels. Not everybody's going to yeah. pass. So this is one of the issues with the 2391. I'm, I'm slightly sad about the 2391, I've got to say. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is <clears throat> I've said this a couple of times in videos on like Facebook, etc. There's a couple of comments here coming up about, you know, it's about money and money, money. And as much as I'd like to say there are great training organizations that have the best passion, and I work very closely with many of them, they, at the end of the day, have to deliver the same qualification that the awarding organization will offer to those that don't bother. And so it's very hard for them to stand up and actually show anything else. Uh, and so a lot of good training companies are very frustrated with this, and they speak to me about it a lot. Um, we've seen... You know, we've seen people get through into the industry who clearly lack a level of, of competence. We see the warning organizations trying to spoon feed information or, or you know, keep people in check with what we do need to do, what we don't need to do. Um, and we end up with, you know, we end up with an industry where a lot of people just end up arguing with each other because they just don't understand, you know, how to interpret this industry anymore. Um, so, yeah, I... I there's a comment there, just I'd just like to break yeah. in there. There's a comment there from Daniel who failed the you see, he failed the practical test because he tested the two circuits he was supposed to pretend weren't there oh, on the ICR. Okay. And this again is another thing I don't like about this two three nine one fifty two. Um is that yeah. they use the single rig and you have to pretend that one of it is or part of it is a new install, part of it is an old install. Yeah. Whereas when you did the individual courses Okay, you had a rig which was a three-phase rig with a single-phase fuse board off of it, and you did either an initial verification on it if you were doing the two three nine four, or you did a condition report on it if you were doing the two three nine five, and we had the opportunity to switch mm. some faults in. I can okay. see I, having a mixed rig is yeah. quite confusing for the candidates. I can see Peter Peter Monford's in the in the chat. Hi, mate. Um, He's one of these companies that I've I've just said I know that you know, I work closely with. I know trying to excel. Um, so when he pops up and has something to say, he's another trainer. He's another guy in the chat. So do listen to what he's got to say as well. Uh, but yeah, um, so we you know we've we've thought about you know ideas of trying to offer opportunities for people who want to just push harder to level. Like we've even spoken with uh, with City and Gills about some of this stuff, and it's. It is like it's over the last couple of years. It's got hard to really properly talk with them because you know they, they, I'm not going to say that there's a lot of money turning around and being interested in like you know accredited programs and you know all these things. But it, it, it's it's a challenge to try to improve training. I'm still 
technically a qualification developer with them because I still get letters from their pension scheme and stuff. Um, but you know, after a few visits, I think they concluded that I was just more of a pain in the ass trying to improve some of the qualifications. The first thing I did, I've seen some mentions here about the regs exam, 17th, moving over to the 18th. I said, we've got to fix that, aren't we? And they went, it's not broken, let's not fix it. I said, it's bloody broken. But obviously, you know, it's not broken if people are passing. That's the view of training, apparently, uh, from the awarding body's perspective. Um, bit down here that we've added, is prior knowledge of earlier editions important for EICRs? Now, obviously, we say that, you know, EICRs are not retrospective. You know, we look at the testing to the current regulations moving forward. But is it, do you think, important for us to have some level of experience, maybe, to understand if we come across a VOELCB or something like Cage Body, to understand how installations were designed a couple of editions ago, so when we see these, we can correctly understand them and handle them? Do you think maybe some training on that alone in the 2391 or equivalent, you know, we're only talking about, you know, a couple of hours of an outcome discussion to highlight some of the key things that have been the main directions. You know, I don't know if you guys can remember EBADOS before it became ADS and things like that. Some, some of the guys straight into industry now will come across devices and methods which technically, retrospectively, don't need to be changed. They may not know how to handle them or how to determine them if they don't have some of that experience going backwards. Or do you think, no, it's, uh, it's not an important thing? What do you think, Paul? Well, of course, it's not in the syllabus, so uh, training firms don't actually be uh, delivering. Um, mm. They stick to the syllabus, and yeah, it, it is an issue because, um, as you quite rightly say, you've actually highlighted they're the old um, voltage um, operated ELCBs. Um, a lot of people look at those and think, "Oh, that must be an RCD," and it's not. It, yeah. it works totally differently to an RCD, and so they get to a TT system and think, "Oh, that's all right, that's okay. I've got a, a, an RCD there." And they haven't. Um, and we need to understand the technology, the older technology, uh, which is still in some places, still existing. Mm. Okay, how can we actually do a proper inspection and test report? Yeah, and do a condition report on an installation if we don't understand the technology that was there, and we're sort of getting confused between what was a, a voltage-operated circuit. Uh, ELCB and a proper RCD and various other things like you, you talked about supplementary bonding earlier on. Um, you know, I said to you about the flat that um, your sister was in. Um, you know, the, the tester had put not applicable, supplementary bonding not applicable because yeah. we're so used now to having split load RCD boards. This flat had old reliable fuses. So there's right. no RCD protection at all in the bathroom. So supplementary bonding was applicable. Mm. But they just said NA, not applicable. They didn't understand that, oh, hang on, we do need it. So, yes, we do need that prior knowledge, and it should be part of the course. We mm. should be highlighting, especially things like the, you know, the, the supplementary bonding and the uh, old uh, voice operated, the voice operated, uh, voltage operated uh, <laughs> yeah. circuit breakers. Yeah. Confused between the other one we talked about earlier on. Earlier on today, yeah. yeah. Uh, Peter says here, I think there's a balance between following the syllabus and making sure students know about the real world. So yeah, yeah, do you yeah. think maybe the syllabus needs to calm down a bit to allow yeah. us to bring the real world into the training more? Or I, think, you... I think the syllabus should be more realistic and the training should be more realistic and we need to consider, it's the inspection side of it. This, I keep harping on about inspection. Inspection mm. is such an important part of the process. But when you look at the training courses, yeah, the vast majority of the uh, direction of that is all about these are the tests, these are the tests, these are the tests. Mm. Uh, and inspection is not really given the 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 time and effort it deserves. Yeah, yeah. I see. Peter says we expect students to read widely to gain knowledge and experience on our courses. We often point students towards other training documents. Beamer, Voltimum. I used to do so much CPD on Voltimum. Uh, JW and ourselves, yeah, um, it's it's a uh, it's a struggle to uh, you know. I mean, Peter, I mean, how 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 do you kind of assess RPL? You know, if if the guy has no experience with instrumentation, do you find a way to assist with that? Do you give extra effort to train them on how to test, or do you try to put them down to initial verification training first? Well, 
one of the, one of the first questions I ask people when they come on the inspection testing course is, uh, what tester have you got? What tester do you use at work? Yeah. yeah. And so when they say, well, I haven't got one, mm. okay, the, the alarm bell starts to ring. Well, um, and, and this is one of the issues. They're they're now already on the course. Yeah. And they've already paid, and you've now got this person who's paid for a course which they're not actually really prepared for. Um, and you know, you could say to them, "Well, I, I think I'll knock you back to a two, three, nine, two, okay, which is what we should be doing." Okay. Yeah. But uh, of course, if their firm has given them time off and they've paid for this, and this is one of the big issues, isn't it, about the fact that firms pay for guys to be off. Um, Cost is, we said this the other day, cost is always this king. It's sort of beating everybody over the head. You know, we want to, we want courses delivered in the shortest amount of time, requiring the minimum amount of time off of work and at the cheapest price. Well, this is my frustration. Well, this is my frustration. Peanuts, you get monkeys, don't you? This is my frustration with the 18th edition. I mean, when we look at, when we look at the potential content that will be coming in one of the future amendments with, with part eight and prosumer and all that stuff. I mean, that book is just going to get a lot thicker. It's getting bigger every time, but. <laughs> But we're still finding other companies that will push it down to squeeze it into a three days, and you just you just wonder how on earth you can do that. I mean, some of this stuff has to go into blended learning now, so you can get guys to learn, you know, via other means. Uh, yeah, Peter says he doesn't really take on people with any ex- without any experience. So, yeah, it's pretty much yeah. related. Yeah, um, and that's what we try to do. That's what we should be trying to do all the time. One of the issues, again, going back to FE colleges, is the two three nine four. Yeah was actually yeah. delivered as part of the apprenticeship. Yeah, we had we had a we had a class recently, didn't we? We had three people yeah. uh, for for one of the days, but they all were experienced. They yeah. all had instruments and so it was great because we could just do a lot of talking about testing, talking about reality, real world, about their different work. And then yeah, one of them said he done the, he think he had the two three nine four. He didn't know he had two three nine four as part he, of his apprenticeship. But he didn't remember actually doing a two three nine four. He just saw a certificate in a pile of certificates. Yeah. Yeah, and he couldn't remember anything about it. And I said to I, I actually questioned him about it. I said, how was that delivered? He said, to be quite honest with you, I think it was almost like spoon-fed by the people in the in the class. Yeah. You know, when we came to actually doing the practical and all the rest of it, it was almost like spoon-fed to us. Uh, and that is completely wrong. Um, one of the classic quotes, I think, on that course was um, the, the young lady who was on that course, and we said to her about... Um, oh, yeah how long she'd been an electrician she said i've been qualified for five years i've been no i've been qualified for 10 years i've been an electrician for five i said what do you mean she said well i've got a qualification through one of these distance learning distance learning manual uh, self-study three three week four week courses she said and i just didn't feel confident at all and i went back and redid it she said so i've been qualified for 10 years but i've actually been an electrician in my regard, for five years, and I thought that was a brilliant quote. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I thought it was very good. So, um, last one on this page, then. So, you know, I've always kind of said that you know, for someone to do an ICR, they should have a good understanding on how installations different. You know, experience in different types. So you can do ICRs in commercial, industrial, in, in you know, social. You should have good experience in those environments to be able to take. Uh, you know, make make assessments and and you know, you're gonna have to develop that over time. So, you know, do we think that maybe you should have a two, three, or up to five years of experience to actually then be able to do the course? Do you think that allowing eight is eighteen year olds, I think, or something to do it? You know, should we add some experience or can we do it straight away if they're maybe doing an apprenticeship from sixteen? One of the issues is obviously is, is competence and. Uh, None of us, are, we're, none of, we're all different. We're all, you know, we're all different. We're all the same. Um, some of us learn at different rates. Some of us pick things up quicker than others. Um, it's been suggested that we shouldn't be doing an EICR and doing the 239-151, the actual condition reporting uh, course, until we've had five years' experience. Yeah, well, that's that's, that's one way of looking at it. Um, and yeah, Depends on how you merits. actually... That's got know. certain merits. But so, then some some people might get more experience in one year than other people get in five years. Well, I remember when I went so this to... This is uh, one of the issues, isn't it? I remember when I worked with the local authority, I was doing voids. I was testing every day. My job was testing. Yeah. Maybe there should be a pre-assessment. Yeah. Maybe a pre-assessment. You know, like we do for the... I do for the vending um, mm. industry. I've got a prerequisite uh, assessment, a pre-assessment. Yeah. 
Mm. And we send that out and the guys fill that in. And, and from the results of that pre-assessment, you can gauge what their level of knowledge is. And then we, yeah. we place them accordingly onto the course that we think is right for them. Yeah. So perhaps that's one way forward. We do a pre-assessment and we see what people know and what they don't know. And obviously, going, going, going on to EICRs, I mean, Peter's, Peter's going on about something which is very important here in the chat. And that is obviously, if people are going to pass a regulations course with 60%, and then they're going to take that knowledge of 60% of a technical document and then go and do inspections to that. I mean, how, 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 how can this actually be a thing? You know? Well, if they pass with 60%, it means that they don't know 40% of it. So, um... <laughs> it, you know, it, do you not <laughs> think that there should be know, some, do you not think that maybe to do testing or EICLs in particular where you're going to use that book and you're assessing to that book that you should maybe have another assessment and or you should just have a, a higher target, eighty percent. The target should be higher, uh, but the, the amount of time allowed for the training, the amount of time allowed for delivery, and the whole assessment process. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, the assessment for the two three nine one fifty two. Please don't even ask me about it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not happy with it. Um, but the whole assessment process and what we need to do and, and, and the, the assignments and everything else needs to be looked at again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the standard, the, the, the bar, we need to raise the bar and there's no problem with that because if we give the training sufficient time, yeah, then everybody will hit that bar and they'll have that greater level of understanding. The issue I get is, it was mentioned earlier on, is that people are being taught to pass the exams, you know, and so they come out knowing how to pass the exams, but actually not really knowing how to do inspection and testing properly. Mm. Mm. No, yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, just seeing a comment from Nigel. How many voids a day, Dave? At best, at best, <laughs> at best, probably three oh. voids, empty properties, and that would be flats with three or four circuits. But we're going to have a little slide on how many can we do a day very soon, because uh, that is definitely a common bugbear, isn't it? Um, okay, let's 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 get to that slide soon. Uh, right, this one performing in the ICR. All right. So, client communication. Why is this such an essential thing in our view? You know, if you're going to do any ICR, talking to the client has to be fundamental to actually get an understanding of what they want, what they expect, and they have to know what they're going to receive with regards to you know extent limitations and. Know, sampling uh, a lot of a lot of communication with clients is key now sometimes that can't happen um that's understandable but we found we found with our work i mean i i don't i don't do a lot of the work because I, a lot of clients want a per circuit arrangement um you know it's hard it's hard to actually work around that but if you can properly liaise with the client that wants to get the right work done it can happen we've had so we've had recent experience like that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably fortunate because I just yeah. flatly refuse to do things on a per circuit basis, and I just say to people, go elsewhere. I just walk away. Uh, and I know not everybody is in that sort of situation. Because yeah. for me, I, I sort of, I have this mixture of tasks. I do a, a certain amount of my time is spent training. A certain amount of my time is spent doing consultancy. A certain amount of my time is spent doing installs and i've really gone back into installs and inspection and testing by accident really i got sucked back into it because people wanted me to do it yeah. um i'm fortunate in that the clients that i work for trust me and i've i've got a long-standing relationship with some of them uh, going back over a number of years and they've realized that um the people that have been somebody mentioned drive-by testing or, or periodics earlier on the people that have been banging these things out and just sort of putting stickers on things and limb 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 hmm. and all this sort of nonsense they realize that they've been paying for a process they've been paying for a service that they're not getting so basically their documentation that they've been produced and you know because you've worked with me on one of these that uh, it's an installation that's been in for 16 years yeah, it wasn't actually initially verified properly. It wasn't tested properly at the first time. It's been tested twice since, yeah, yeah. Uh, for condition reports, and it's passed every time. Um, we've got a new set of facilities people in there now. People that I know, they pulled me in to have a look at it, and we failed it miserably, mm. and not on 
it wasn't through testing, it's through inspection. It's just places. Just through trunking, sort of hanging on bits of rope and, also, you know, uh, armoured cables not even got a lock nut on, let alone having a fly earth on, on the gland. They haven't mm. even got a lock nut on. They're actually earthed by gravity. It's the weight of the cable on the trunking, resting on the trunking, that's mm. been providing an earth. Now, how on earth do these things get through three sets of inspection and testing, yeah, by allegedly reputable firms, uh, but we pick it up. And the reason is because we're not driven by time. We're not yeah. driven by, I've got to get this many circuits done. We're driven by, let's do this properly. So we actually have time for the inspection process. Well, we find that if you're offered the freedom to basically inspect, you start to unlock a lot of information that the clients didn't have before. And you start to find a lot of things. Um, you could still get a lot of work done. We got tests done in the end, but we kind of holistically inspected about half a dozen circuits at once because it was all one route, one wiring system, one direction. And then we just, you know, topped up some tests to confirm, you know, because we'd identified length and size by that time. And we, we, we picked up that problem with the short circuit currents being too low to, you know, yep. the risk of fire. Yeah, so tests, you know, tests, tests are, are important. important, but yeah. by far, the inspection is the most important. Um, yeah. And this is the issue, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, it's, I, I, I do stress that, you know, communication with the client, I see a lot of contractors trying their best to explain to the client why the, why the work is important, how it helps them comply with things like, you know, electricity work regulation, 4-2, etc. Um, uh, we've, we said this yesterday in the master design, if, if we can sometimes dress the report up in something that the client will want to actually consume, I touched on this a bit with the thermal imaging. You know, if we can show them more or help them understand the document more, and this is why we changed the document to the EICR from the periodic inspection where it used to be, trying to get the client to be more aware of the the value in that work. Because, um, you know, there will be value in that work if you allow someone with the right competence, the free time to do the work. They will give you the value. The problem, problem is, obviously, it's um, it's, you know, it's a money game. Uh, and we find that, you know, if, if there's money involved, some people will be happy to ignore uh, what you would call good workmanship and then accept the lower expectations. This is why we, this is why we get up to the, um, these people that can do dozens, you know. Four pound a circuit. Yeah, well, four pound a circuit. I, I, we put that in there because I, I, I actually did some work in the Northeast and I was, I was covering for a, somebody and it, the arrangement was four pound a circuit. So if yeah. you're going to pay, if I if I'm a if I'm a self-employed subcontractor, wearing the shirt of another company, I don't actually work for directly. I'm just a freelance subby. They may have no work for me tomorrow. They may have some work for me next week. I don't know. I'm wearing their shirt. I'm in a white van. I put a magnet with their sign on my van. I'm told to go to a museum, go to a library, go to a school, da, 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 do all these things over the summer, and I'm paid four pound a circuit. When I go to a board and I see. 20 circuits in there, I can then just go I know my money before I've even actually looked at the schedule of inspections before I've looked That's at the schedule, I've seen the money in front of me, once I take the board off and I see there are cables in there I've confirmed my money, so if that's, if that's the you know, if, if, if that's the mentality that you're going to do with, with the money pushing the work, then that's what you're going to end up having as individuals doing work, we have the same issue with the um, the equipment maintenance or or the portable appliance testing sector, as many will call that. That's that term is is going to be removed hopefully in the in the upcoming um, fifth edition. That time, you know, yeah. because yeah, the the uh, the drive to because it's an you know because it's like MOTs as well because it's an essential maintainer apparently. Uh, clients go for cheap, 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 cheap. They don't see value in the service. I mean, for, for me, uh, this business is a four pound a circuit. You, you just mentioned you've got 20 circuits. You look at that, you think 80 quid. Okay, what have you got to do to earn that 80 quid? You've got to fill in a piece of paper. And as long as you've got something in the boxes, so you end up putting ticks in there, you put 500 volts in for the insulation resistance test, you take a few earth loop impedances, you make up your R1R2s, and you guess the rest while you sat in the van having a cup of coffee and a donut. Yeah. Um, and this is unfortunately the process. And, and, and we know because we've seen people do it. Yeah. And we know because we've seen uh, documents that have been produced by people. When you look at the document, you think there is absolutely no way at all this person has actually looked at the electrical installation. 
Um, you know, and also this business of limb, 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 limb. Uh, I've gone to places where they've proudly presented me with folders full of uh, oh. inspection and testing documents. And when you open it up and look at it, it's limb, 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 limb. You think, well, what have you actually paid for? Limb, limb. The trouble is, the customer doesn't know what they're getting half the time. Yeah, half the time, most of the time. I did some duty holder consultancy for a food manufacturer in the hall, and um, I was looking at the commissary of their guys. They didn't have anyone. They had one person who could do who had the two three nine one. And so I looked at the schedules of test results that they had from a nationally recognized company, and they had about five or six pages of lib. There was no data on that. All that you had was the circuit characteristics. There wasn't even, there was no R1, R2, there's no ZSs. It was just lib across the board. And I said, so what have you got here? What information is there? And I said, well, it's the test results. So there's nothing there. But they were unaware that that happened. And the guy on site who was competent to read the data didn't want the job to read it and they had a, you know it was all broken but that does happen uh, there was a good question that it's just gone off but because you've mentioned that you know you don't do price per circuit somebody asked well how how do you approach pricing do you kind of offer a rate for a day and then keep the client updated on progress to allow them to either extend it or do you keep it to a fixed period of time at a day rate and then just see what you can achieve in that time for the client how, I mean, how do you kind of right. If I'm doing domestic, which I very rarely do, um, I have to be beaten over the head to do domestic. Uh, that's because I'm old and crotchety. I'm, I'm just a miserable old git. Um, and I hate doing domestic because there's people in there living and I'm crawling around people and all sorts uh, of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I try to avoid it as much as possible. When I was doing domestic, um, I would generally allow, allow for a standard sort of three-bedroom semi. I would think of them in my head, I'm going to be there for half a day. Yeah. yeah? So I could possibly do two of those in a day, and that would be the maximum. And even then, I would probably be spending some time in the evening doing the certification. Right? Yeah, so you're um, actually doing so more hours in a day. Those are the sort of times that I would put to a three-bedroom semi, your average three-bedroom semi. But would you like to have charged a day but known that you wouldn't get the work, or what? Uh, I could have. I mean... <laughs> I could have spent a day, but the, the thing is, the thing is also with domestic is that there's only so much you can do. You're not going to start taking floorboards up and carpets up. And, you know, you can pop your head in the loft and see what's going on up there. Um, but you're, you've, you're limited because people have got furniture everywhere. So you do what you can. And generally, if you know what you're doing, okay, and again, it comes down to the fact that of that time, you know, 50% of that will be spent inspection, doing walking around, having a look at stuff, you know. Okay. Um, so usually within that half a day, you know, I could, I, I was quite happy with the fact that I could produce a fairly accurate, um, condition report within that half a day. And so I would look to do maybe two in a day and that would, that would be it. Mm. So I was happy with that. I, there, was I, a, there was a, just, just sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, there was well. an interesting comment from, I think it was Andy or somebody. So I mentioned limb, 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 limb. Uh, and they said, well, I thought Lim was, he had to go back and sort of do further investigation later on. Um, yeah, FI is further investigation. Lim is a limit. What limitation is, is it's Tough luck. Use where you can't actually get access to an area. So, for instance, if you've got a locked room or well, a, a zone where you can't actually get into physically, generally that's what Lim is. You're actually limited. You can't do that. Well, sometimes me, it's a geographical limitation. Sometimes it's an operational limitation. Well, to me, there are two. There's there's uh, agreed limb and then there's operational limb. Yeah. Um, agreed limb are obviously previously agreed with the client. An operational limb should definitely be returned to the client prior to you you know, concluding your work in case they decide, oh, well, okay, let's give you some extra time or let's give you permission to dismantle or do something you know uh but that's it you know unfortunately a lot of people just kind of use limb as a as a get out of jail card of efforts or time even uh i i would try to do i would try to do one a day and because that gives me it gives me the freedom to actually inspect it gives me inspection freedom because the last thing i'd yeah. want the last thing i want is to have two in a day and then find myself needing more time yeah, do it properly. Uh, but it will, you know, if it's a smaller dwelling, I can understand that, you know, yeah. it, 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 to, to cost it, maybe yeah. maybe half a day. I mean, when I say two a day, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about when it's voids. You've got empty properties. Empty if, I've property. got a, if I've got a property that's actually got people in it, um, <laughs> yeah, then you're, you're probably safer doing one a day. Um, 
but you know it, again it's, it depends on the size of the actual installation you know how big is the three bedroom semi yeah um and what is involved have they got things like a studio down the end of the garden have they got a hot tub have they got various other bits and pieces are yeah. there issues there that you you've got to really scratch around for um so yeah but yeah this idea of about 10 a day oh sorry no that's it's just ridiculous absolutely crazy unfortunately uh, unfortunately people do do um structure their business that way okay um all right, so with regards to inspection testing, inspection is big here. So how much time should we give to inspection? If bear in mind we're arriving on a site and you know the conclusion is when we go back to the office, this piece of paper will have numbers on it. There'll be test data and the inspection is just, you know, confirmation. So how much time should we be giving to inspection? I mean, do we get enough time? Or do you think that maybe we should actually improve the way we record inspection maybe if we change the way we record inspection it would actually it would actually you know force us to give us you know give it the due time that's needed to do it properly as, as you know i spend probably more time doing inspection than i do testing um because mm -hmm. i've I, you know 80 88 85 percent of what you find in the installation the problems you find will be probably by inspection yeah. Um, and then we will sample the testing. I try and do as much inspection as I can uh, and then sample the testing. Um, now, obviously, if you've got a just a, a single dwelling, then you can pretty much test every circuit. But if you've got something like uh, Terminal 5 at Heathrow, you're not going to be testing every individual circuit because you're going to be there for years. Um, so this is where sampling comes in. And Guidance Note 3 um, says that 100% you know, inspection and testing is neither possible or necessary yeah i think it's got it's got tables doesn't it where you go you go 100 yeah. percent of so it gives of the main distributions yeah. and then you can sample other parts it is just guidance uh food industry that i work in a lot they tend to do 33 percent every year on a three-year rotation so every three years 100 percent should have been done that seems to be quite common through that industry from yeah. where i've seen um, the thing is of course is if you, if you come across so many problems you get to the point where you have to go back to the customer and say, look, basically, this is a bag of shit. Um, yeah. um, you know, and you you either sort of, okay, do you want me to test every individual circuit because everything is really bad or do yeah. you just bite the bullet? And I think we need to recommend a rewire here. Um, so there does come a point in your inspection and testing process, even with inspection, when you find so many issues, you just say, this, this is just nonsense. You know, this is just so bad. I think we're wasting our time going any further than this. I think we can, on the evidence of what we've already inspected, we can mm. say that this, in this this installation is really, really poor. It's totally unsatisfactory, and we recommend a rewire. Yeah, yeah. Ab Abdul's asked here, guys, an example of sampling, the way you do it. Um, for me, if I can get some prior data from a client that I can look at, try and understand the scale of their, of their, you know, electrical infrastructure and I can then try to give some suggestive sampling, but it really would depend on me actually arriving on site and looking at, you know, a site and seeing how it's used. For example, if I land, if I go to a site and I go, oh, I'll do X amount of percentage of a, of a board or so, one board might be used very, very rarely or may have negligible demand whilst in other area may have very heavy demand or heavy, heavy use or might be open to the public. So my sampling would be kind of biased to the utilization of the installation, the deterioration, the environmental factors. So my, my sampling, you know, really would depend on my initial, I'd like to arrive or get an understanding of it so I can then give them a more effective sampling judgment. If I just kind of said, oh, I'll do those circuits, but not those, without actually going there and understanding what I'm sampling, uh, to me, that just is. It's sometimes you get it right. Most of the times, there'll be areas that you know you then want to test. And there'll be. I, I tested a factory up in Liverpool about three years ago, and it was on a it was a it was it was on a quarterly rotation, and I was testing a as a full factory manufacturing parts for Ford and other another gearbox manufacturers. But when I was there, I was up in a mute. I had all my kit on. And I was basically testing supplies from the high voltage um, supplies above the mezzanine. And I was testing decommissioned bus bar systems. You know, the whole system I was testing wasn't in use. The area was, if anything, used to store waste and scrap. Uh, so there were some observations with regards to the 
change of use, but everything was out of reach and up high. It was really a waste of time, and they should have used that on some of the system that was still in use. So they were gradually decommissioning the site. But for their paperwork, all they had was this bit has been done, this bit has been done, now let's get a guy to do that bit. And I really was there to test something that wasn't being used. Um, they got some benefit from that, but you know, the, when you think about the effort and the money, they could have done a better maintainer. Uh, what about you, Pop? What about your sampling? Huh, sampling. Right, um, yeah. Sampling, big issue, big emotive issue. Um, and uh, generally what we do when we're looking at an installation is we do a survey. We walk around, have a look at the site, and, and then decide based on the size and the complexity and the environment and what we can see yeah, as to what our sampling rate will be. Now, what we tend to do is we try as much as possible to do pretty much all of the switch gear and distribution boards, okay, and then sample a number of the final circuits. Mm. Now, the issues come with when you haven't got previous records, so it hasn't got any IC yeah, or any previous EICRs, and you're starting from zilch, okay, then you need to consider increasing your sampling rate. Yeah. Uh, ben, um, Ben's, Ben's mentioned this. He says, "I thought if you had no records, you should go for a hundred percent." You should push for that, but it's a case of can you get that? Yeah, this, if you've got a really, really large installation, then you're not going to be able to do it. And this going to allow weeks and weeks. Um, and the the other thing to think consider is what are we there for? We're looking there to actually give a condition report on the general condition of this electrical installation. Okay. Now, a condition report, okay, consider what that is. A condition report is reporting on that condition. Is generally that electrical installation safe for continued use or not? Yeah. Now, if we sample a number of circuits, do as much inspection as you can, sample a number of circuits test-wise, yeah? If you get a number of poor results, then you can generally say you're going to get the same on the rest of the installation. And so you can, from your sample, say, this is a bag of poo. Yeah, it needs to be rewired. But if you generally get really good uh, inspections, really good test results, then you can generally say, yes, that's going to be maintained throughout the installation. And the, obviously, there's always this thing about, yeah, but what if you miss a fault? Well, this is the real world. We're going to miss the occasional one. We're not going to catch everything 100%. Now, if they want everything done 100%, let's just scrap. EICRs and we just have EICs because we need to just start from scratch, turn everything off, and we'll do a proper inspection and test on everything, yeah, as we did when it was probably or should have been initially installed. And this yeah. is the thing, you've got to think about what the purpose of an EICR is, is to give an engineering view on whether an installation is fit for purpose and whether it's fit for continued use. And you're never if for a larger installation, you're never ever going to be able to test every single little bit. One of the issues also comes when we talk about the difference in tests, all right? And this is where if you've got a ring final circuit, which is the classic one, yeah, the guidance note says if you've got previous test results and it's been previously uh, proved to be a ring, you can mm. simply do an earth loop impedance test and yeah, as long as, do, as that's long as all you no, need to do. As long as there's no evidence it's been yeah, adjusted. As long as there's no evidence of changes or alterations. Now, that is one of the things where you have to be absolutely totally certain if you haven't got previous test results test records then you must do that test 100 percent yeah you can't do this quick earth loop impedance test so this is the other issue with periodic inspections and tests is that as well as this business of sampling we've also got the difference in the actual test approach and the procedures okay um if we're going to go for the easy option like with the ring finals, we must make sure we've got previous test results. If you haven't got those, you can't do that. You've got to do the test properly, and you've got to go through the three stages of yeah. proving your ring, doing your figure eight for your line of neutral, doing your figure eight for your line of CPC. Yeah. For me, if I had a client arrive, if I arrived at a client that had no history at all, large site, and I'd go, we need to really do the whole thing, and it's just not reasonably practicable, I would try to do a strategy, maybe a three-year strategy, or something to over that period so fundamentally as long as you are planning as long as the strategy you know, you've recognized a, a scenario lack of maintenance all that and you've worked with the client to plan to implement it 
I would then look at my first part being to take an approach to the immediate area, you know, the main distribution assemblies and the area of largest demand, the largest area of operation, or maybe the area open to the public. And then, you know, a bit later when I'd return, you know, when obviously they can afford another visit on it, I would then start going to the the other smaller areas, so maybe the more administrative yeah. locations where there's less risk. You know, trying to understand how the the sites behave and try to prioritize their their risk assessment and their need to maintain a safe installation for the way they use it. Um, if, if, if you're involved in a planned maintenance system, for instance, for a mm -hmm. firm, which is what we used to do years ago, um, we would do an inspection and test on 20%. We would sample 20%. And what we used to do was, okay, we'd go into various areas of the site and we would test this board or that board and we'd do about 20%. And then the following year, we'd yeah. do a different 20%. And we used to mark them up. We had color coding, yeah? Or, or labels on them so we know what we did the year before so in that way over a five-year period everything was getting at least checked once it's about okay. it's about properly informing the client of their you know of, of, of what they need to do and supporting them with the right strategy that they can still afford as a business i remember there was one there was a there's a company that we did a we did a we did an uh, we did a fuse board change at a company then the nic guy came out to inspect the job and it was a nursery, a garden nursery, and it was absolutely, it, it was it was bad. Um, but we did the work where it was most urgent, and we told the guy about the, the other work called fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> That's how but, bad it was. The fuse board had caught fire. But the NIC guy, remember, he arrived and he was looking at everything else, and he said, "Oh, guilty knowledge." He was like, "No, no, 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 look." He's seen the risk, but he's a business. Oh, We've done yeah. this. And then we're gonna. We had a strategy of a, 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 a you know, a, a, as he got money in as a business, he would then get the work done. But he removed the immediate danger, and we repaired the work that was most vulnerable to his workers and stuff. It was safely controlled. It doesn't. It wasn't just done like that, you know. So if you talk, you know, talk properly with the client, and they'll, they'll, you know, you'll get them on side, and you'll both work together to gradually improve their business. With the, with the best will in the world, what we've got to try and do is, is encourage clients yeah, to accept this responsibility and to take it seriously. And if we go beating them over the head yeah, with a big club, say, you must do this, you must do that, you've got to give me money now, it's got to be done 100% and you've got no choice, we're just going to scare them off. They're going to, if they're we going to turn on. Give them a cuddle, give them a hug, yeah, and get them into the fold and, and explain to them why these things are a good idea. What you'll end up doing is you'll get a, a long-term relationship with a customer who will trust you, yeah. And then over a period of time, you can you can generally or gradually increase the electrical safety of their site. Okay, mm. and this has got to be the the, the the approach we have because otherwise, what happens is the customer just runs scared, looking at a huge bill, yeah, and lots of nonsense. Yeah. Okay, we've got to try to inform them, encourage them, communicate with them, yeah, and get them engaged in the whole process. Try to explain to them what you're doing. Try to explain to them what it means. Um, and I quite often say to customers, you know, when they talk about, well, oh, you know, how long will this take and how much is it going to cost? And I say to them, well, if you take your car down to the old uh, garage for an MOT, would you be happy if the engineer just or the, the mechanic just kicked the tires and said yeah that's okay and gave you a certificate mm. you wouldn't would you so why are we happy to accept it at four pound a circuit or 10 eic's a day with electrical systems electrical systems kill people yeah they cause fires they cause electric shock they cause all sorts of other problems okay why are people happy to accept this level of danger with something that could possibly kill them Whereas they wouldn't do it with a car. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy to me. All right. Um, so you've, you've added this. Is inspection as important as testing? Um, I think we've discussed that it's, it, it's got to be considered. I mean, there are things that testing finds that you can't find with inspection. We found that recently with the short circuit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The testing is very important. But, you know, so many things that you can expect for the testers will never find. In, in some installations, there's an argument. This is something that I've talked about a number of times before. Is There's an argument for having an inspection report, yeah, 
you know, on installations where we can't actually get into test because the customer can't turn them off, they can't do this, they can't do that, you know, uh, air traffic control, oh, let's turn it all off. Yeah. Probably won't make a lot of difference at the moment, but, um, you know, there are installations that can't be turned off, you know, in hospitals and various other places, uh, parts of industry, whereas an inspection, yeah, a routine inspection would uncover so much and produce so much data there where we can say hang on this isn't right this isn't right we need to improve this so an inspection is a really really important part of the process uh, and what quite often the bit that we can't do is the testing so let's separate the two and let's have a situation where we could have just an inspection going if we can't do an inspection and test to do the condition report let's at least do an inspection and do an inspection condition report yeah. yeah, and I yeah. think that's that's got to be a viable proposition for a lot of industry. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've I've seen lots of comments, and I have to kind of just add to add to the uh, the comments about farms, and you know, just the way the electrics that you can find in farmland and some like some other locations, and you know, how do you <laughs> how, how do you actually report to a client in a way that they're actually going to take action with that i mean I, i've seen um i've seen i've seen, you know if, 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 there are many installations where they just you know they just won't spend money they won't upgrade uh i there are there are many people i know that are told you know that you know when they do eicrs that the, the clients don't want any c1s or c2s i remember paul having a, a comment on this on a recent podcast that he did and you know there was a comment just about just a minute ago about you know trying to find the right clients that unfortunately i think that is the case i understand that you know work is tough but there are just some clients where you need to let those clients go to somebody else you you, you need to maintain your integrity and your and your standards and unfortunately we now have varying levels of competence and approach to this work and there are clients for those levels as well um and you've just got to find the right ones for you the ones that you know will find value in what you do um do you know we're an hour in you know um and we had like other slides and stuff we might have to make this a two-parter pop or something what do you think yeah possibly if, I mean, if, come, if come. people can put up with us for that long yeah, we might, have to, we might have to come back and, and do some more on this subject because we, uh, we we created like a 22 page and we're on we're on we're on slide four of 22. <laughs> so yeah. so um, we haven't even got to pictures. Uh, let, let's just do let's just do um, a couple more and then we call it do a couple more and then we're gonna have to come back and talk about obvio coding specifically. But yeah. it does seem like a lot of guys in this in this chat are very experienced in this. I'm, I'm, it's just, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's just great to see. I'm seeing so much. There's, There's really... a lot of good, good chat. There's a lot of good ideas. A lot of good comments. Uh, somebody's mentioned about the NIC. You do uh, <laughs> visual reporting documents. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I, I'm not with the NIC. Um, yeah. um, but fantastic that they do, and great use them. Uh, the, the issue being is that we don't commonly talk about it and there's no training about it and you know, it's not sort of something yeah. that we sort of communicate about in the industry so let's have these ideas out there and yeah and, uh, and some of the people say it's like you know we, we could have this on a few webinars because you know the content the chat is great and this is the thing it's about just trying to get people together to talk about these kind of subjects in the right places so we're, you know we're, we're going to have to be creative with ways that we can communicate on this because it's great it's great um Somebody mentioned um, two three nine six. Yeah, we are. We're, we're right now um, thinking about ways that we can look at helping or doing some work on the two three nine six. What we need to determine right now is how long this is going to be for. We're waiting to get a bit more information on that. When we get some more, because obviously we're in week two of a three week, but it does look like this is going to go on for a bit longer. When we get more information on this, we'll then have a little plan of what we're going to do with our time, and we'll make sure. We want, we, basically, this keeps us busy. You know, and <laughs> yeah, not off. <laughs> it does um, for our own sanity. Um, so yeah, we will. We will see what else we can bring along. Um, yeah, slide four of twenty-two. Uh, there you go. That's lesson planning for you. We, we wanted to try and keep it to an hour because we 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 yeah we suck we, we suck sh at webinars. We, we should have known because you know this is the sort of thing when you're on a course and you start talking about this, you know the discussion yeah. can go on forever. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And this is this is. 
this is the whole point of these webinars, guys, is to get you guys communicating, get you involved. You know, there's some cracking electricians out there, some really good guys out there, know what they're doing, they're experienced, they've got some great ideas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's great to get these people on board. And I love looking at some of the comments. They're really good. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, that's it. I've you want to do a like... couple more or you're going to wrap it up? I'm probably going to wrap it up because the next one is where I was going to I was going to hand over to you. Oh, wrap to, it up to introduce to introduce the fire, oh, yeah, the fire thing, yeah. The and I think that might be a good place to start the next one. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because uh, just it's... just for everyone to know, um, my dad's actually a former retained oh, yeah. station commander. Yeah, I had 18 yeah. years in the fire service as well as being a, a sparky, as well as being um, electrician. We 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 used to be we were electricians together. You'd have we this were. little. You know these little beeper, and you know we'd be doing a job, and his pager would go off, and him and two other guys that work with us would all disappear, and then I'd just be left walking back yeah. to the stores or whatever. But no, um, yeah. we've got some good. You know, we've his support. You know, his Ascot, uh, uh, Ascot, Berkshire. Jack. Yeah. Oh yeah. Station, station fourteen. Station fourteen. Ascot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, eighteen, you're, you're, 18 years. Your experience and your your opinion on premature collapse, I think, is important for us to yeah, start yeah. the next one with as yeah. we look at that so. that that coding and retrospectiveness. So, guys, look, thank you for your contribution. It's actually been great. Yeah, um, I've I've really enjoyed going back, and you know, we, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna set. And I mean, this is the last webinar we've got currently got set up, but we're gonna discuss this weekend about what else we're gonna do moving forward. But we all we will set one up to carry on this discussion because it's good discussion and if the discussion's good let's yeah. you know let's do some more all right you guys well uh do enjoy the rest of your th thursday thursday is it thursday it's thursday yeah it's thursday you're right i haven't got anything scheduled for tomorrow uh no, I, off. yeah i've got i'm actually attending a webinar uh because seawood have a webinar tomorrow morning which is the um update on the fifth edition of the code of practice so I'm I'm going on that one, which is why I didn't, you know, I haven't scheduled anything for us to do. But we, yeah, we'll um, look, message us. Let us know if there's anything else you want us to do. But we will give you some more information over the weekend. All right, guys. Um, thank you for your contribution. Thank you for your time. Uh, stay inside. Stay. Take well. care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Help each other. And um, and thank you. Cheers. Thank you.